So we uh, have two Sundays left in our sermon series, our current sermon series, Is It Just Me? The things we all wrestle with but rarely talk about. And so our topic uh, today is the topic of perfectionism. And I want to tell you why I chose that topic. There were a number of conversations I was having uh, last spring where perfectionism undergirded every conversation. Uh, I would have conversations with folks who would say, well, you know, things at home are just not perfect. I just wish I had the relationship that my friend had with, with their kids. Or someone would come in and they would say, I'm wrestling with my faith in this way. And if I could just uh, sort of get an answer and some clarity on that, then I would feel more steadfast in my faith. Or folks would say, you know, I'm really struggling with my marriage. The kids have uh, moved out. They've graduated. And it just doesn't seem like we're in a flow or a rhythm. And undergirding all of these conversations was this notion that things are always really good or things are terrible. And we have this notion of uh, perfectionism that I think that undergirds uh, much of our lives in the world in which we live today. And so what I want to do in this sermon is at the very beginning, tell you where we're going. So you're not wondering, I wonder where this sermon is actually going to lead us. Um, I want to tell you a story about my life from when I was 25. And when I sort of held the standard of perfection for myself, Uh, the story is embarrassing. I don't want to tell you, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Because I think what it does is it reveals to us this culture of perfection that we are all living in. And I'm going to highlight that culture for you and give you some stats on that. And then I want to reveal where that culture is made manifest. It's where all culture is made manifest in our young people, our uh, kids and our grandkids and where, uh, where we are now seeing this in younger generations. And then I want to call into question where we may have been complicit in perpetuating the culture of perfectionism in our faith as the church. And when I say the church, I want to say uh, Big C Church, not just Preston Hollow. I mean sort of the church uh, institutional religion. And I uh, I want to go pretty hard on that because I think that we have done a lot to perpetuate that. And then I want to invite us to think about a faith outside of perfection. And then I'm going to read you some words from the uh, Apostle Paul. I'm going to show you what he means. And then I'm going to sit down and pray. That's where we're headed this morning. This understanding of perfectionism uh, invades every part of our life. I just uh, finished a job at a foundation in Atlanta, and I was invited uh, to, called, in fact, to be an associate pastor uh, at the church that I served when I was in seminary as an intern, and this is what you need to know. The church that I served as an intern when I was in seminary was uh, like my dream job. It's the place where I felt like I came to find my voice. It was uh, the place where I looked up to the best leadership uh, that the country had to offer. And so when I was given the opportunity to go and join that staff, I didn't want to mess it up. And I'll never forget, we were six months in and uh, we were in a leadership retreat. And so we are sitting in in a large circle and I was literally sitting in a circle with my heroes. It would be like uh, if you were Steve Kerr and you got to play with Michael Jordan, right? I was Steve Kerr, not Michael Jordan, just to be clear on that. (laughs) 
So I'm sitting in this circle, and there is Pam Drizel, our senior pastor, one of the greatest preachers I had ever known. And then there was David Bartlett, who was the dean of the faculty at Yale Divinity School, who was one of the foremost thinkers on the New Testament. And there was Jeannie DeBose. She had done more work in family systems and therapy. And I was around my heroes. And the question before us was, what were we most afraid of? And so everyone sort of shared pretty intimate things, and it came to me, 25 years old, cut me some slack. This is what I said. I'm terrified of failing. So failure is not an option for me. I will do everything it takes not to fail. We'll have a great program, we're gonna reach a lot of people, and we're gonna grow in my ministry area. I said those things because I wanted to mirror this reflection of perfection. At 25 years old, as the new person in the group, I wanted them to see that I was capable, that I was going to try hard, that I wasn't the weakest link, and I could project what our culture most values about who we are and our work. I wish at uh, 36, I could pull that 25-year-old aside and be like, hey, pal, listen to this. (laughs) Failure is where the good stuff is. It's actually where you learn and grow. Quit being an idiot. (laughs) I wonder how many of you have felt that way before. Maybe it was in a a boardroom. Maybe it was with uh, your kids. Maybe it was uh, at their parent-teacher conference where uh, the teacher says, hey, do you have any questions? And you don't want to be perceived as being dumb. So you go, no, 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 I don't have any questions. Or maybe you over-posture and ask a question that really isn't relevant. I wonder how many of us are taking on this posture of perfectionism. Uh, The latest data shows that um, perfectionism in America is on a rise at 30%. We have increased since 1989 this culture of perfectionism by 30%. We are a culture obsessed with perfection. Uh, You may notice that I got some scruff going on this morning. And that's because on Monday I uh, I had to go and get some uh, basal cell cut out of the side of my face, wear your sunscreen. And uh, that appointment then sent me to a plastic surgeon's office on Monday afternoon. There is nothing like working on a sermon about perfection (laughs) at a plastic surgeon's office. (laughs) There were videos on blaring the entire time in the waiting area about how we can look. (laughs) How long it will last and how long it will take us to recover from this period of being imperfect to the new life found in perfection. We're a culture obsessed with perfection, the perfect game. 27 outs in a row, nobody gets on base. The perfect job where we are just killing it and hitting every bonus. The perfect marriage where we marry our best friend. Uh, The perfect kids. The perfect children. 
Like our kids are everything we project them to be on the Christmas card. (laughs) And can I be really clear? I'm not going to look in the North Transept when I say this with a lot of young parents. I'm preaching in the mirror, my friends. Coordinating outfits, the whole thing. The perfect car, perfect house, perfect vacation spot, uh, the perfect faith. You know, the faith that is strong and is never unwavering, the faith that uh, has a word for everyone uh, who is wrestling or in question in their life. Perfect. Now, I want to differentiate here. There are some of us in the room uh, who are type A. Right? And we are perfectionist. Right? So that means if we went into your closet this morning, uh, things might be lined up. You know, like all the blue shirts are in this place, and then they're the white shirts, and then they're the green shirts. That's how it is in my closet. Or you can go and you can look at the socks, and our socks are all lined up. Athletic socks and then dress socks. Uh, that's perfectionist. What I'm talking about is perfectionism, and there is a difference. And because I want to present as being perfect, I guess, I'm going to read you the exact definition so I don't mess it up. Perfectionism is broadly defined as excessively high personal standards and overly critical self-evaluations. I'm going to read it again. Perfectionism is broadly defined as excessively high personal standards and overly critical self-evaluations. If you take that definition and and the story that I told you at the very beginning, checkmate. Right? I'm going to hold myself to these exceedingly high expectations, and then I am going to let the shame storm sort of brew deep within me if I don't meet those. It's the uh, uh, perfectionism holds us to the standard of you go to your job, you do a good job, but you don't meet your own goals. And so instead of saying that you're going to do better the next time, you go, yeah, I should probably just quit. Perfectionism. And uh, if you don't believe me, let's look at our young people. And let's just all be okay with uh, our young people embody what we give them. They learn from us. Even if we don't have the words, they see what we value and they orient their lives this way. Do you know that this young generation that is before us, some of you in the room, uh, it's your kids and your grandkids. Do you know what they are now being called? The most exhausted generation. They're being called the exhausted generation. And this is why. Not because they get up uh, at five o'clock in the morning and milk the cows and then walk to school uh, five miles uphill both ways in the snow. (laughs) Not because of that. But because this generation has an expectation of perfection in their mind. And this is what it looks like. Um, All A's, please. And we know that that has grown because We're all clear that when you have a 4.0, that doesn't mean that you've made all A's because now there's like a 7.0 or something. (laughs) 
When we have grown our understanding of perfection from one grade point average and raised it up three clicks, we might have a problem team. But it's this understanding that the most exhausted generation on average does three hours of homework every night. This is after they have spent um, seven hours and 44 minutes. Why can't we just round up to 45? Seven hours and 44 minutes in front of screens all day. And that's not just, inter- that's not just on social media. Social media is how they sort of uh, live and interpret their life. So for seven hours and 44 minutes a day, they're sort of in and out of social media. This is a generation that after three hours of homework or before, they're uh, supposed to go and practice uh, dribbling, shooting, spiking, hitting a ball well enough that they can spend the majority of their weekends traveling all over God's good creation, playing those games. And if they're not doing it with a ball, they're in a pool, or maybe they, uh, they're playing an instrument, or maybe they're in drama, and they want to do it well enough so that They're recognized among their peers or they get a spot in the play or the show or the performance. This is to say nothing. This is to say nothing of them trying to figure out uh, relationships and love. And what does perfection even look like in that? This is to say uh, nothing of that generation about faith in church. We talk about it as a staff all the time. Do we need more programs for our young people? Because when we get them, they're exhausted. (laughs) Do we need to create places for them so that they can actually rest and breathe in the goodness? And I got to tell you, our young people are being held. They're holding their whole life to the standard of perfection. And do you know how I know? Because 30%... 30% of our young people, uh, our kids and our grandkids, um, will experience anxiety in high school. And 20% of our young people identify as experiencing depression by the time they get to high school. And you may say, uh, maybe perfectionism is not really uh, the, the issue that undergirds this. This is what I would argue. If I held my life up to a standard of perfection or what I thought perfection was, if I can't hit a baseball like Derek Jeter or dunk a basketball like Zion, then maybe I should just stop playing. If I can't get a 7.0 and be able to write an incredible college essay, if I can't fit in 20 hours of volunteering every week, then I would probably feel like I was the only one because the culture is that we should all be able to do that. And if I felt like I was the only one, I would probably, um, probably slip into some feelings of depression. If I couldn't do that, then I would probably be anxious about why it is I can't do it. Everyone else can. What's wrong with me? this understanding of perfectionism undergirds everything in our culture. And can I just say this? I love the church, but I think the church has been complicit in this. And this is why. I think somehow along the way, we uh, as American Christians got this notion in our head that um, things are either good, we are faithful and holy, 
or we are bad. Going to burn in hell. Okay, Presbyterian language. We are either the elect or we're the reprobate. Isn't that like a very Presbyterian word, reprobate, by the way? (laughs) It's like so much nicer than saying you're going to burn in hell. (laughs) Reprobate. But I think the American church has sort of um, sprinkled in a cup of uh, American exceptionalism, Protestant Protestant work ethic, And this understanding of faith being perfect, and you know what it is? It is a deadly cocktail. It's a deadly cocktail that no one wants to ingest, and we wonder where younger generations are. Who wants to drink from that well? But I think that our faith offers us a different way, away from this understanding of perfectionism, I wonder how many of you this morning uh, feel like that was a faith that you were given. I wonder how many of you uh, uh, felt like you were given a religion that was a list of rules. It was a list of belief systems, and you were supposed to keep the rules and keep the belief systems, and then you were good. And the people who didn't keep those belief systems or those rules, they were bad. Let me use an example of my grandparents. Uh, My grandparents did not dance because dancing was evil. But then there were these whole group of people who did dance. There were a, a group of people who didn't drink. And then there was a group of people who did drink. There were a a group of people, right, who believed in these essential tenets and they were going to go the right way. And there were these group of people that didn't believe in those essential tenets and they were the wayward. Uh, Friends, we have done this throughout the church and we've done it throughout the generations. And let me just say, uh, we have done it and it started with African Americans. In the Presbyterian Church, we said if you uh, were an African-American, if you were brown-skinned, you were not holy enough to be ordained as a minister. We did it. And then we took the uh, strainer, like the pasta strainer, out, and we said, okay, never mind, we were wrong on that. And then we scooped up women in there, and we said, "Uh, women, it says right there in the Bible that you aren't allowed to be ministers, subservient, blah, 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 all that. And then we said, oh, we were wrong on that. And so we dumped uh, women out of the strainer. And then do you know who we picked up next? (laughs) All of our LGBTQ folk. Same strainer, same arguments, same scriptures, really. And we said, you're not holy enough. Your lives aren't worthy enough to be in full communion with God. I think we've taken this understanding of perfectionism and we've applied it to our faith as well. And can I just say it's deadly and I believe it is not what God intends. I just don't believe that it is what God intends for us. Things are not one or the other, good or bad. Things are not fully holy and fully unholy. Perfection's not really in there. And some of you, and I love you, you will say, yeah, but Jesus says, be perfect, like my Father in heaven is perfect. 
It's in there, I agree. If we go to the Greek, that word for perfect is actually a bad translation for us. Do you know what the Greek actually is? Mature. There's a difference between being mature and perfect. Your eight-year-old grandson may be mature for his age, but that does not make him perfect. So what then is, uh, does our faith have to offer us? I think it comes from the Apostle Paul. In the second, uh, his second letter to the Corinthians. And we need to remember that uh, the Apostle Paul uh, wrote his letters to the Corinthians in the year 55. For all of our art history buff people in the room, uh, we know that the architecture, the art, the sculptures during the year 55, they were made out of marble. Statues uh, were made of Greek gods, well-endowed arms and legs and other things. And the idea was, if you are faithful, then you will one day be like a god. We had coliseums and we had, uh, we had even the temple built in these giant structures to show, to show strength to show certainty, to show power. And if we could get our stuff together, then one day we could be like that. And the apostle Paul says, he uses a different example for us. The apostle Paul in his second letter to the Corinthians in the fourth chapter, seventh verse says this, one verse. But we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. But we have this treasure in clay jars so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. I think it would have been much easier for Paul to say, we have this treasure made in marvel. No. The Apostle Paul uses the opposite of what everyone in that culture is seeing on their way to work. Everything that they are seeing in their day-to-day interactions. The Apostle Paul says, uh, you've been given a gift. It's treasure in a clay jar. And clay, as we know, is fragile. It's porous. It can break. I think the Apostle Paul is trying to say to us, uh, dear friends, do not strive for perfection. (laughs) Know that you may be a piece of clay. You may just be a piece of clay. And that clay may break. It may shatter. It may have some rough edges. And do you know what? You are fully loved and claimed just as you are. So perfection is not your goal. Recognizing this claim in your own goodness is actually the greatest gift. In the year 55, perfection was the goal. But the Hebrews had a different understanding of what the goal was. And it starts in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, which is a poem, by the way, not a science book. God created 
And God saw what God created, and it was good. And there was evening, there was morning, and then God created, and God looked on what God created, and God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning. The next day, there, Tov, T-O-V, the gift of this faith, the invitation to this journey is to recognize the goodness and the holiness of your own life so that you can be so awakened to the goodness and the holiness found in all of creation. Even in the people and the places that we write off and think are most broken. Even in the parts of ourselves that we don't want the rest of the world to see, God sees goodness. So after the service today, I want to invite you to uh, come up here. I'm going to have this basket. I've taken all these plates and I hit them with a hammer. And there are all these uh, pieces in there. And I want you to take one of the pieces and I want you to take it home with you. And I want you to stick it in a place where you will see it every day. It could be right there in your car. Though for some of us perfectionists, that may mess up the feng shui of the whole thing. (laughs) I don't want you to stick it in your pocket or uh, in your purse because um, this morning I did that and it cut me right on the hand. But I want you to take one of these uh, broken pieces of pottery because I want you to remember every day of your life that perfection is not your goal. Perfection is not your goal, my dear friends. Accepting and claiming your own belovedness. Accepting, accepting your own belovedness is where faith actually starts. And I hope that this broken piece of plate will be a good reminder of that for you every day. Will you pray with me? God, we are so grateful that you are a God that loves us and has created us just as we are. We're grateful that you are a God who pours your spirit and grace through us. We are grateful that you are a God who took on flesh and knows what it means to walk in this world so that we might know the path of light and love and forgiveness for your whole world. Amen.